0: Welcome to episode number 142 of the Pioneering Today podcast, where we are going to go into depth with four common weeds that almost all of us have at least one or two, if not all four of these, growing in our backyard. And we're going to be discussing how you take those weeds and one, different ways to use them in your cooking to stretch out that grocery budget. And secondly, how to use them medicinally, how to preserve them, how do you actually harvest them? We're not talking just one or two ways to use each of these. You are gonna get a plethora of options, both on cooking wise and recipes all the way to the medicinal and preserving them so that you have them for year-round use. Sound good? Now, before we dive straight into today's episode, and it's a goodie, let me tell you, but I kind of teased you and promised you the last couple of weeks some special things that you're going to hear about first here on the podcast Now, today's episode, I do have a guest, and she is part of the Modern Homesteading Summit for 2018, its first year, that is coming up very, very, very soon, including all the information that you're going to be needing in order to register, because you are not going to want to miss it. But in the meantime, because that's not quite ready yet... I have another surprise for you that is totally going to help you out on your homesteading journey, and it is tied to the Modern Homesteading Summit. That is, I created a special Facebook group. Now, hear me out. I know not everybody is on Facebook, and as much as I like to complain sometimes about social media, it does have some good factors to it. And we're just going to focus on the good. This group is the Homestead and Old Fashioned Pioneer Living Facebook group. So it's a closed group, which means you have to request to join and then you will get approved. And that's in order to create a really close-knit community that's beneficial to everybody who's a part of it. So whether you're a homesteader, a gardener, or you just plain love all things old-fashioned, this is going to be the place for you to go share and learn. This is going to be the group for you if you love simple but delicious from scratch cooking, raising your own organic food from the garden to the barnyard and pretty much anywhere in between, preserving your food with fermenting, canning, because mason jars are our thing, dehydrating, root cellar, natural medicine cabinet, and medicinal herbs, remedies use, making it yourself from soap, balms, cleaners, beauty products, candles, and of course, with natural ingredients. So pretty much, if you're any type of homesteader, self-sufficiency, and if you listen to the Pioneer podcast, this is going to be your place. And In order to make sure that it is a really good and helpful community, not everybody is getting invited or even approved yet. If you're a listener of the Pioneering Today podcast, you are getting one of the very first invites to it. So only if you're listening. Now, if you go to the show notes, because normally in the show notes, I've got a complete blog post with links to all of the resources and everything that we talk about on the episode, which for this episode, you can go to melissaknorris.com 142, because this is episode number 142. But you got a pen handy hit pause. You're going to want to write down this link or immediately type it in. If you're driving, pull over first. Be safe, right? We don't want to be texting and driving or surfing the internet while we're driving in the car. But you're only going to hear this link. So this link is not going to be in the show notes because I know that my podcast listeners, they are serious about this way of life, about learning and implementing and doing it. And that's what this community is about this is the special link to go to to request to join. It is melissaknorris.com backslash group. So you can type that in and you can get access into the group before anybody else. And you are gonna be impressed when you get in there. We've already got some homesteaders in there and the sharing and the problem solving and the recipes and just the plain inspiration and community is amazing. So you're going to be in for a treat. And I got so excited for any new listeners, I kind of forgot to introduce myself. So if you don't know me, welcome, and I'm pleased to meet you. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am the host of the Pioneering Today podcast, author of the Made from Scratch Life and Handmade, founder of the Pioneering Today Academy and podcast. The Pioneering Today podcast is the place where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural and self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead because homesteading is a mindset first and you can homestead anywhere, no matter where you live. Okay, without further ado, let's jump straight to this week's interview. It's a good one. Welcome to this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. And I'm really excited for both today's guest and the topic because one thing, pretty much anybody, homesteader or not, if you have acreage or you're in the city, that we all have access to and is oftentimes the bane of our yard, especially in gardens, is weeds. And so I'm really excited because Kathy Lepstevik of Homespun Seasonal Living is coming on today and she's going to be sharing with us and with me. I tell you what, you guys, when I record these podcasts and I get to interview people, I adore getting to share it with everybody else. But most of the time, it's because I really want to learn and gain some more knowledge and skill sets of my own. And I feel like it's just a bonus that anybody else gets to listen in. So Kathy, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, me too. So at the time of this recording, Kathy and I were just chit-chatting a little bit behind the scenes, so to speak, before we started to record. And at the time of this recording, it is officially April 25th, and spring has just sprung this week on both (laughs) our homesteads. We're getting some warm, sunny weather, which just gets us itching to garden. It's a little too soon to put our warm weather stuff in yet. But... The weeds are going very well and proficiently. In fact, I've got a ton of dandelions, those yellow blossoms are just popping up their little heads all over the yard, as well as other weeds. So one of the things that I love the further and further I get into homesteading is learning to look at things that we commonly see as a problem and figuring out a way to use them where we actually enjoy them or they're beneficial on the homestead. And weeds is one of those things. So Kathy, talk to me a little bit about some of our common weeds and ways that we can use weeds and that you use weeds instead of just yanking them out of the ground or getting really disgruntled when we see them.
1: Right. Well, obviously, let's start with dandelions because almost everybody has them. I I think even people who live in the desert probably have dandelions now. (laughs) Not quite as prolific as people who don't live in the desert. But dandelions are actually edible from the root to the flower. So every single part of it is edible and medicinal for that matter, and relatively safe, even if we're taking it medicinally. There are some people that You might have to worry about it, the root if you're taking a lot of it medicinally. But as far as the greens are concerned, you can use them just like we use any kind of leafy green. You can eat them raw like you would use lettuce or spinach. You can toss them into your smoothies. You can put it in your soups. You can do anything you would do with spinach you can do with dandelion greens. And most people don't really use the dandelion greens for medicine anyway. They use the, the root or the flower. And so those greens are really good and they tend to be better. I'm just going to be really honest. The greens tend to be better when they're small and before the plant goes to seed. Once it goes to seed, it's like most things that we grow, the greens will be bitter and almost too bitter for most of us to enjoy. So do eat those greens when they're young and before the plant has gone to seed. Super yummy and the dandelion the blossoms, those beautiful yellow flowers. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. And everybody's always like, Oh, you know, people who are like a really on a perfect lawn don't see them as beautiful, but I love seeing a big, beautiful field of she dandelions. Is. It's just so <laughs> fine and it's gorgeous. And I know that that field is teeming with life, right? Because all of our pollinators love dandelion blossoms because they provide nectar and pollen and so it's just a great thing for the bees but we can still leave some for the bees and harvest plenty for ourselves and the petals have a very faint honey-like flavor so they're great in anything that you would want to do from a sweet perspective. And you could put them in cookies, which is something I've done. You can toss them into your rice puddings. You can make a compound butter out of them. You can do all that kind of stuff. And it's just a really great way. And they also have some medicinal benefits. You can soak dandelions in olive oil, infuse it in olive oil or any other kind of oil and rub it onto your joints for a little relief. So they're really great. And obviously dandelions are so available to us. And for me on my homestead, it actually is almost always the very first green I'm able to harvest, you know, fresh in Northwest Montana. So unless I grew some greens like in a tunnel or something. So they're a great way to extend the budget, the grocery budget. You can have some fresh green salad right there.
0: So yeah, with dandelions, same here. They typically come up, they, it's a sometimes it's a bit of a tie or a race between the stinging nettles and the dandelions, which ones start to come up first in springtime for us for harvest wise but i have not used the dandelion blossoms right. in our homestead I've used the greens and exactly as you said in the early springtime is the best time when they're young more tender right. to avoid that bitter flavor completely agree with you there but then when you were saying about using it in spinach i'm like i oftentimes will make lasagna and instead of using noodles i will use spinach and i thought Hmm, I wonder about trying swapping out the dandelion leaves because they are really young right now and Mm. trying that. So if I try it, I will post an update later. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. I will post that if if I get I get around to trying that. But I'm really curious because I have not used the blossoms. I've seen where people have taken the blossoms and they've dipped them in a batter and fried them up. But I was really intrigued with some of the ideas that you had, like because they have a little bit of a sweet flavor. Right. of using those in a cookie. So for someone like me, who's actually not used the blossoms, right. do you harvest them and then dry them and then put them into, do you finally chop them up or how are you actually step-by-step step incorporating right. those into a dough?
1: You would want to harvest them and you want to cut the stem. So you want to cut as much of the petals as you can and avoid a lot of the green, which would be the sepals from a botany term, but just the green part, you know, like the little green cup that the petals sit in. You Mm -hmm. want to cut as much of that off as possible because that tends to be very bitter. But you just want to cut the blossoms off. And then you, you want to use them fresh when you're baking with them. Dandelions tend to be really hard to dry completely. They tend to go to seed. You okay can build them overnight, but they tend to be really dandelion petals tend to be really hard to dry. It can be done, but it's it's very difficult to dry completely. they, they just turn into like you know the little fluff balls if they get too dry.
0: Okay, good see, good to know. So those are best just harvested and used fresh, not really preserving unlike the leaves and then of course the root.
1: Right. And, and the root, generally speaking most herbalists use the root. And the root has a kind of a faint, Coffee like flavor, especially when it's been roasted. So, you could pull those roots, which you know are impossible. You never get the whole root, right? Everybody's <laughs> ever tried to pull a manual in. Yes. So, you get as much as you can. and You want to scrub it really well, and then you can dehydrate them in a dehydrator, or you can roast them in an oven until they just get a little bit roasted and crispy. And then they'll have a, you can grind them and put it like for tea, for coffee. You want to let it steep for a while because roots tend to want, need a lot of from it. But I've also used that same kind of coffee like in base goods so use the dandelion coffee the tea just mm-hmm. like use coffee and brownies or a cake or something so we're talking about all these really unhealthy dishes but they're really fun ways to get those things in and then dandelion root tea is really good for helping flush uric acid from the body which is what people who have trouble with gout and other things so it's a really healthy thing to drink and it tastes good it has a bitter like coffee like flavor so i guess if you don't like coffee you probably wouldn't like dandelion root tea but
0: yeah. No. have you ever used the roots as far as not making a tea? I've had dandelion tea often like that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It does give a little bit of a coffee flavor, which I love mm-hmm. coffee. I love the scent of coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I love pretty much everything about coffee. Me too, yeah. But yeah, I have had it and I like that. And you're right. Anytime you're adding a coffee flavor, it's especially to chocolate baked goods, it enhances that chocolatey flavor. And I don't think anything can ever be too chocolatey. So I love that idea as well of using that as part of your liquid. As far as like eating wise, is there any way, you know, like a person, I'm thinking other root vegetables, you know, how we'll kind of roast a root root vegetable with, you know, a little bit of olive oil, some garlic. Is there any way of incorporating into your meals that dandelion root like that?
1: Here I would use it. And you wouldn't even want it to dri- dehydrate necessarily. You'd want to use the root fresh. But you could for sure put it like in a stir fry or roast them up. They can get a little bitter if you roast them too long. So you want to be careful that they don't burn. You know how garlic, if it gets a little too burnt, a little too cooked, can be a little bitter. Dandelion yeah. can do that. So you don't want to do that. But it's definitely it's really good like in a stir fry. I really like it. I just use it kind of like slice it like I would slice carrots stir fry. So that's my probably my favorite way to do it. Okay, perfect. And you can for sure put it in soups too.
0: Oh, there you go. I didn't think about adding that in into the soup. I bet that would be really good too with more of a, I'm thinking like beef. I don't know. Yeah. Now it's not roasted, but it's going to be cooked fresh. Does that add a little bit of that? Does that co- probably doesn't come through because it's going to be diluted with so many other flavors. Right. It's not, And I mean,
1: you'd have to use a whole lot of it for it to taste like coffee. Although, you know, some chilies, like a chili, like a beef chili, Yeah. It's really good with a little bit of coffee added. So you could think about it that way. It might add just a hint of that coffee flavor, but it's not going to be very strong or it's certainly not going to overpower beef broth.
0: Well, that's exactly what I was thinking, actually, is why I was going more towards like a a beef, a really hearty Mm -hmm. beef stew or a beef chili, that -hmm. it would probably lend itself really well, even if you did have a little bit extra in there. And if that did come out, I'm like you, I tend to like, I think coffee, like I said, I think coffee's good in everything and a little splash and chili is wonderful. So, okay, that is so many different uses for all parts of the plant. And now I have to ask you too, because I know, I know, I know that one of the listeners is going to have this question. Have you done dandelion jelly?
1: I have done it. It's just essentially all you're doing is gelling dandelion petal tea. So you just make a tea from the dandelion petals. So you just keep the petals in water, usually overnight, you know, and then the next day you add your sugar and your pectin. And there's no way to do it that I know of without adding pectin. And you need to add a lot of sugar in order for it to be safe for canning purposes. It's going to be very acidic otherwise. So it's good. It tastes really a lot like honey but it has a lot of sugar, <laughs> right. I guess. It, you know, I, I normally like kind of a lower sugar jam or jelly. And in order for the dandelion one to be safe uh, high enough in acidity, it has to have a lot of sugar. And so it's, it's fun to make like any kind of flower jelly, a little fickle to gel, you know, you have to kind of use the liquid pectin and.
0: Honestly, that's one of the reasons I haven't done it because when you're using the berries, they're acidic in nature. They've got some natural pectin in there. And I'm like you, I use as low sugar as possible to still keep it safe and to get that gel. And I try not to use store-bought pectin. I use natural pectin sources in the form of different fruits with their pectin levels as much as possible. So I think it's intriguing. And I think, it, like you said, it can be fun to do every now and then, but I'm kind of with you. It's just not one of the main ways that I would use the dandelions in our food is the dandelion jelly. But I did want to ask the question because I get asked that quite frankly by people. So, and yeah, and knowing the flavor profile is similar to honey is kind of fun too. a good way Mm -hmm. to use it. So we have talked about dandelions, which I'm excited that that was just, there's so many things just right there for any of the listeners. I will have the blog post that accompanies this episode. We'll have everything written out for you. So if you want to go and look at those and links and everything, resources that we're discussing in this episode, if you want to go and try some of these, we'll have lots of resources for you in order to do that. So dandelions, of course, is one of the first weeds, which is why we covered it first, that's coming up and that can be used in so many different ways. But what are some of the other common weeds that we can put to use on our homestead instead of, you know, just seeing them out in the yard?
1: Chickweed is the next one that comes to mind only because I happen to see some coming up. I have some that come up kind of in a little rocky area of mine. So it's warm there because the rocks are heat. And so chickweed is a tiny little green, very kind of frilly weed that grows everywhere as far as I know. And they have the little tiny white flowers on them. Do you know chickweed?
0: Yeah, actually chickweed was the very first edible that I learned how to forage when I was a kid. I would go out with my dad and he has a lot of acreage and he used to run upwards of about 130 head of cattle when I was young, like between eight and about 15 years old. So I would go out with him on the weekends and help him fix fence. And when you're walking over literally a hundred acres, you're out there a lot longer than you think you may be, especially if you found more holes in the fence from the cows. I would start to get hungry. And in the springtime, we were out, and so he showed me there was chickweed. And if I was really hungry, then I could, you know, I could eat that. I think he realized I was kind of whining too, and I was ready to go back and he still had stuff to do. But so that was my first introduction actually to wild edibles. It's actually a cover crop right now in my summer vegetable garden.
1: It is very high in nitrogen. That's great. And it's totally edible. It is more of a bland flavor than most things. But the great thing about that bland flavor is that it can add a lot of bulk to things and help stretch their grocery budget. You can make a pesto out of it and it's going to be kind of bland, but if you want to make a basil pesto, for instance, you could just use a little bit of basil to give yourself enough flavor and then fill it out with chickweed and you can freeze pesto or, you know, eat it with a spoon. <laughs> just pretty much like but, you know, pesto is such a great way to use chickweed and it works so well. And again, you can eat it raw like in your salads or you could use it any way that you would use any other sort of green. It freezes really well And you can toss it into your smoothies all winter long if you want to have a little green. So that is a really great way to use chickweed. And it tends to be everywhere all the time. I will mix a lot of greens, dandelion greens, chickweed greens, and other things with eggs. Like I'll put them in the blender and mix it up. And then I use that as a liquid to make egg noodles. So it makes like with your flour. Yeah. So it makes your noodles just maybe slightly healthier. And that's a great and of course, they're going to be green. But that right. makes it, you know, a very fun little soup. So that's a great way to do it.
0: I love that tip. I hadn't thought of that. I really like that. And I think too, chickweed, if you're just eating kind of like a plain plain green salad, or you know, salad greens, I think chickweed gives a little bit of a different texture. So it's kind of nice from a textural wise on the palate to kind of have a little bit of a not necessarily a full-on crunch, but I think it gives a little bit different texture than just lettuce, so I enjoy it that way too, just if you're you know, just a regular green salad. But I love the tip about putting it in the eggs for the noodles. that is fun.
1: All of the aerial parts are edible, so don't worry if you don't know, if it's some greens and some stems and some of the flowers, you can eat it all, and it's perfectly fine, and it all tastes pretty much the same and again, if, if you wait too long into the summer, it might start to get a little bit bitter, and they do tend to dry out at least. Mine don't sit in a spot where they get a lot of natural water, so I eat it when it's fresh in the spring, but I let it die back when it gets too hot in the summer, and so once it starts to get a little dry, it's probably not as flavorful as when it's young and fresh.
0: Yeah, now does chickweed, and I don't know the answer to this one, which is why I'm asking, but does chickweed really have any type of medicinal use that people use it for, or is it more just a... a great edible to throw sure, in. No, it
1: does have some medicinal uses it's actually a diuretic so if you had way too much of it it will kind of flush out your system and it's often used in a lot of creams that help fight cellulite if you can believe it so it does have a lot of, kind of and it also is really good if you have itchy skin externally it's uh-huh. really good like to put in a salve or an oil because it helps with itchy skin it has a lot of those kinds of medicinal methods. And it also helps because it has that diuretic effect. It can help cool you down. You want to maybe put some in an ice cube, you know, to toss into smoothies later or kind of thing. It can help cool a body down.
0: Oh, that's really good to know. I did not know that about that. It. It's just amazing that all of these things, you know, just been around me, like I said, my whole life. And I'm still discovering new things. So I get so excited about this. Yeah, now I'm really, I'm ready. As soon as we get done, No joke. I'm going out to the garden and I'm starting to harvest some more chickweed. (laughs) It's good stuff. And I I happen to,
1: I don't know this as I get older, the skin on my legs tends to be very dry
0: for whatever reason.
1: Maybe that's a little too much information, but I made a salve out of chickweed and balsam root, which is a a plant that grows here in in Montana and to help with the itch. And it really does just kind of, you know, it's very soothing because I use some beeswax and some really nice oils and, and infuse it. And it really does help better than any commercial lotion I've ever purchased.
0: So awesome. So now when you're using the chickweed like that, I'm assuming just from, I've used other herbs and infused them into oil and then made mm-hmm. different balms themselves, not chickweed specifically, but I'm assuming it's the same procedure that you put it in the oil and let it infuse right. and then mix up, you know, whatever you're using to make yourself. Is that how you do it? Exactly.
1: Same thing. Same idea, general, general idea.
0: Okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got our dandelions, we've got our chickweed. So Mm -hmm. were there any other kind of early spring, you know, we're going into early summer, kind of the the more beginning of your warm-up growing season, weeds that, that are your favorites? I would say,
1: I don't know that I would necessarily consider violets a weed, but they're definitely something that grows wild because mm-hmm. um, i really i mean i guess but some people might consider violets a weed but it's definitely something that grows wild and the flowers and the leaves are edible we don't want to eat the seeds that's the one thing to be cautious of so if for okay. some reason that the plant has gone to seed just ignore the seeds but the greens are edible and so are the flowers and again the greens we would just use like we use any kind of spinach or anything else and sometimes the violet leaves can get quite large
0: depending yeah there
1: and so you can totally stuff them like you would stuff cabbage leaves
0: oh fabulous so i we have grape plants so i will stuff the i've done the grape and cabbage i love cabbage rolls and then i'll stuff right. grape leaves too but i did not think of those larger violet leaves to right. stuff those too that is really cool
1: now you can do that with nasturtiums too nasturtium leaves have a little peppery flavor but you can definitely stuff them when they get depending on the variety so i i, I grew up in a family where we ate lots of stuffed things <laughs> so <laughs> I was just, once I, like, every time I see a leaf that might be large enough, I think, oh, let's try it. So the violets are really good, and flowers have kind of a sweet flavor, and so they're really good. You can just eat them, you know, they make a really beautiful touch, like on a salad or whatever. If you infuse them in anything like vinegar, the vinegar will take on that beautiful, deep purple color. Ooh! You can make your own vinaigrette for your salad out of that, and it will have kind of just a touch of sweet flavor, but it will still be vinegary and not enough that... It's not so sweet that you wouldn't want to put it on a salad. Right. Um, But it's super yummy that way. And it's really good (laughs) for anyone who maybe wants to like put a little bit in some vodka and you can have a little cordial kind of thing. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. saying. (laughs) Just saying. If you want to have an adult cocktail, that's a good way to go. And you can also, of course, with the violets, make a really nice little, just a plain old simple syrup. So you just put the, you know, some water, equal parts water and sugar and some violets in a pot. And Mm -hmm bring it to a boil and it'll have that beautiful color. And it, the flavor is obviously going to be sweet because of the sugar, but we'll still have that violet flavor, which is just kind of a sweet little floral flavor. That's super yummy and beautiful for, you could make um, Italian sodas for the kids. So you don't have to necessarily do cocktails. So it's a really beautiful little thing. That's lovely and probably grows just about everywhere. And sometimes it may be past violets by the time this airs, but it's really a great, early spring thing
0: yeah no I I love those ideas too of using the petals and nasturtiums is one that I love to grow and eat here it's an annual so I have to you know replant that every year mm-hmm. but they're great you're right nasturtiums have a really good peppery flavor I've always just eaten the blossoms I've never actually done the leaves but they get big enough putting, I think that that would be a fabulous, especially with beef or some of more of those red meat stuffing wise would be really good. Actually, we go with chicken too. I typically, when I stuff things, it's with brown beef, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think, I think chicken would be really a fun way to try it out. But the violets, I'm very, I love it. I, so I just love vinegar. I love doing cherry vinegar and infusing that in the summertime to have a cherry vinegar, like you said, even to use in different marinades with meats or make mm-hmm. dressings. And but I never thought of doing the violets, and I adore that it actually turns it a color. I think that would be even a fun Christmas gift. And sure. I've done different infused vinegars, and as long as you know it's turned and you strained it out, it would right. totally be shelf stable until Christmas time.
1: It sure would, yeah. And there are people who make violet jelly, just like dandelion jelly, but it has that really pretty purple color. But again, a lot of sugar and difficult to gel.
0: Yeah. And I always think violets look so pretty when they're on a cake. I know we're talking about sugary stuff, just mm-hmm. can't help myself. But mm-hmm. yeah, what you can do, you can do some of your your make healthier versions of that, of course, using some different, you know, stevia and different sweeteners, maple. Nice. But I think that they just look so sweet when you have those little violet flowers on top of a cupcake or a cake, and they are edible, but they do add a really pretty visual element. So is there any all types of violets pretty much are edible or is there any types i know you mentioned the seeds to stay away from yeah, the seeds. Stay away from the
1: seeds but otherwise they're all edible and so even those little johnny jump ups of course those little johnny jump ups aren't gonna have i mean the leaves aren't gonna be big enough and they're kind of small because you know that like that whole kind of pansy by all the family i would maybe be careful of certain hybrids i don't know about all the hybrids but certainly the wild ones would be just fine.
0: okay sweet well i'm excited in fact now i've got to go out hunting and see if i've got any any violence are popping up here. And if not, then I'm going to have to go plant shopping and put some more in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I grew uh, last year and I, I'm going to grow them again. I have some in the greenhouse already this year. Swiss giant pansies, which are in that same family. And so they're these okay. giant, you know, beautiful flowers that have this just specifically because I wanted to eat.
0: Them. <laughs> oh, sweet. I'm actually, you're going to laugh. I have my, I just grabbed a pen and I'm taking notes as we're recording. So Swiss
1: giant pansies. I grew them last year and they grew really well for me in my climate. And I grew them in pots, kind of in a covered area so that they would bloom all summer long you know so they were really beautiful because they would they don't like it when it gets really hot they would not survive the summer summer heat.
0: So they're better off to do kind of maybe in like a partial sun or a little bit more protected like part shade? Yeah
1: something like that and I grew mine kind of like in big pots on the porch right like on the covered deck so that they say they got sun but not like direct sun that's pretty tough on them.
0: Okay. It gets hot all right we're going to do that one I'm excited I got to go look up some seeds
1: (laughs) it's so great it's so great yeah you had mentioned stinging nettles and you know I know everybody's kind of like oh gosh stinging nettles and they want to run from them because they're painful of course if you get stung by them but you know if you harvest them with your gloves on and if you cook them the nettles fall off the stinging part falls off you you can absolutely eat stinging nettles and they are super nutritious they're just really really good for us and so you can cook them you know i kind of cook them and just toss them with rice or noodles and a goodly amount of cracked pepper and it's really very good and again it just tastes like a green like spinach but they're way higher in nutrition than like spinach so it's a really good thing and a lot of people will drink stinging nettle infusions Mm -hmm. because energy and other things so it's a really good thing and you can dry stinging nettles. And when they dry, they're nothing they won't sting you anymore. So that you could use it in winter, like in a tea kind of thing,
0: nor the stinging nettles. No, don't, it, it's so funny because for years, yes, if you are in an area where stinging nettles go rampantly, which they do here in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the first things you learn as a kid is you learn what to look for so that you don't brush up because they, yeah, their name's stinging nettles. They'll sting you for a very long period of time. But you're right, they are so good. Some of our favorite ways, and I do, I dehydrate quite a few to use. I'll even just dehydrate them to make them into tea as well. Mm-hmm. But also just to use that a green powder to just throw into soups or stews when I don't have fresh available anymore, just to get those extra nutrients. And and of course, you know, you could even use it as like a green powder. I don't mm-hmm. normally powder mine up. I, once the leaves are dry, you know, I just kind of will toss them in whatever and just kind of crinkle them with my hands if I want smaller. One of my favorite things to do with them is actually to saute it with some butter and garlic and then saute those and then throw an egg over easy on top. That's like one of my favorite breakfasts ever.
1: Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. No, yum.
0: I'm also thinking of trying, like I said, instead of having to purchase spinach because I don't have any left from our garden and I don't have any up quite this early to harvest, I'm thinking of trying those stinging nettle leaves in place of spinach and lasagna. Obviously I need to make lasagna because I keep bringing it up. So <laughs> it's going into my menu for the next week. Okay. Yeah, but I've definitely got, definitely want to wear gloves and long pants and all that stuff when you're harvesting them yeah. and make sure it's a thick enough glove. We had some little, you know, like those disposable thinner gloves and sometimes Sometimes they'll sneak through there and you'll feel a little bit of stinging. So I try to make sure that I'm using even a little bit of a thicker glove when I'm harvesting them just to avoid avoid any of that.
1: So I'm not kidding that we have bees. And so I've got the bee gloves, which are so they're the long gloves that kind of go up over your clothes and have a little... Um, thick, yeah. They have really nice kind of leather gloves. It's a thinner leather. It's not like a super... But it's if it can prevent a bee sting from going through... It will prevent the stinging nettle from going through. So I use those. So if you, if you have bees, use your beekeeping gloves.
0: That is a great tip because, yeah, those thinner gloves, I have had them go through there. And it's kind of one of those things that I didn't notice it when it first happened, but it was after I was done. And mm-hmm. it kind of you know removed the gloves and everything. My skin was a little bit tingly. So it kind of stopped it from going all the way through, but there was enough that did go through. So that's a good tip. Yeah, try to use leather or definitely a thicker rubber glove, not just kind of like those little thin then throw away things.
1: Although I have an herbalist friend who swears by stinging yourself if you've got really bad arthritis with stinging needles. Really? Yeah, you have to have a certain level of pain tolerance to do that. And I would maybe ask, you know, or try very gentle little nudge of it. But yeah, she swears by stinging yourself just a little bit in the area that's affected and says that it's very helpful.
0: That's fascinating. And now I'm really curious as to how it would actually work. Is it just taking your focus off of a different pain or it, it actually
1: helps with on. the inflammation a little bit. It actually, in the long run, it helps with the inflammation.
0: Very fascinating. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I actually gleaned a ton of tips, and now I'm even more excited to go and hunt around our homestead and forage and grab some more of these. Beautiful thing is there's so many different options to use these in you know, your different foods and your different things like that. So really versatile ways. So thank you so much for coming on today, Kathy. I have really learned a lot. Really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you all about it, and I hope to see you all soon.
0: For this week's verse of the week, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know, recognize, and understand, therefore, that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love and mercy with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And there is a lot that I really love about this verse. One is that God is faithful because I am not always faithful. Faithful. I want to be. And I think anybody who believes in God and Jesus Christ as your Savior, that we want to be faithful and we want to do what is right, but we are human. And at least for me, I am not always faithful. But I am grateful that I serve a God who is. I'm grateful that He is steadfast when this world and I am not, and that He shows us mercy. I don't know about you, but I need both grace and mercy on a daily basis. And I also like the very last part of this verse, that he stretches it out to a thousand generations, because honestly, part of the reason that we live this lifestyle and that we do homesteading is I want to make sure that the old fashioned traditions and skill sets are not lost. I want to make sure that at least with my own children and someday my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, that these traditions are carried on, that they're passed down. And I hope not just the practical homesteading skills part of it, but also that there's the heritage of salvation in Christianity and that my children will develop a true relationship with the Lord and that will grow in their hearts and be passed down to each future generation to a thousand generations. I wanna thank you guys so much for joining me on this edition of the Pioneering Today podcast. And I'm gonna tell you once more that special link because like I said, you're not gonna find it on the blog post. So melissaknorris.com slash group. Next week's podcast episode, we are really going to be diving into living the old fashioned pioneer way of life now in modern times. But we're going to be talking about living if you do not have running water, if you don't have a refrigerator And talking about root cellaring techniques and living off-grid. Now, that might not be something that you even want to do right now, or you may be wanting to take elements of that, or you might be, I just want to have that information in case I ever do need it. Regardless, it is a great episode. It's packed with a lot of information, and I'm really excited for you to listen in. So that will be released next week. I can't wait to be with you again. Thank you guys so much. Until then, bye for now.